Chapter Thirty of The Curious Quest by E. Phillips Oppenheim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirty. On the next morning, almost at the same hour and place, Bliss picked up Mister Crawley. The latter reached his seat in a somewhat ruffled state. He came around to see his eccentric client at the first stop. I do not approve of motor-buses, Bliss, he pronounced, as he gazed down at the crease in his trousers. Most democratic institutions. And your conductor who pulled me on to the step was, to say the least of it, familiar. I gather that you divided the contents of my cigar-case with him. Jolly good chap, Bliss replied. Well, what about it? Mr. Crawley coughed. "'The young lady,' he announced, "'is still without a permanent situation, "'and I gather that she is owing her landlady money.' Bliss frowned a little. "'I've got to think that over,' he said shortly. "'Skip round behind now, please. We're off.' At the next halt Mr. Crawley once more made his appearance. "'Have you any instructions to give?' he inquired, tapping his pocket-book with his pencil. Bliss nodded. "'You can send a thousand guineas to Mr. J. Miles, Canadian Employment Bureau, 17 Queen Victoria Street,' he directed. "'Anonymous donation.' "'Anything else?' "'A uh, hundred pounds to William Jennings, a 17 Printer Street, Camberwell. "'That's my mate on the bus.' He has a child ill, and wants to send her away. Anonymous, mind. Certainly, Mr. Crawley assented. Anything else? Fifty to Thomas Bride, a foreman, head office of the Omnibus Company. Then you'd better look up that chap who makes heels down in Finsbury, Bliss proceeded, and see how he's getting on. If he wants any more capital, let him have it. And now, listen to what I have to say. "'Invest five thousand pounds in the name of Mrs. Heath, "'and pay her the first quarter's dividend in advance. "'Write and say that the sum has been placed in your hands "'absolutely for her benefit. "'You know the address.' "'You seem to have made a few friends,' Mr. Crawley remarked. "'What about the young lady?' "'Bliss's face darkened for a moment. "'He shook his head regretfully. "'I can't do anything for her.' he said simply. She's got to hang on for forty-eight days. Mr. Crawley put his book in his pocket. I'll take a ride with you another morning soon, he promised, but you might explain to your friend William that a shove up behind, as he calls it, is not exactly a dignified way of assisting a person of my age and figure. What about some cigarettes? Bliss shook his head. "'Only ordinary perquisites are in order,' he explained. "'A handful of cigarettes from a passenger is all right. Twice following wouldn't do.' "'A small tip, I suppose,' Mr. Crawley ventured. Bliss was thoughtful for a moment, then his face lightened. "'You might,' he suggested, "'give sixpence to William. Be careful, though,' he added anxiously, "'to explain that it is for him to treat the driver as well as himself. 
"'I will do so with pleasure,' Mr. Crawley agreed. "'Don't forget to mention the driver,' Bliss called out after him as he turned away. The conductor made his way to the front at the next stopping-place. "'The old buffers stood us a tanner, Ernie,' he exclaimed with glee. "'We'll wet it when we get to the end.' Bliss smiled. "'He does chuck his money about, don't he?' he remarked. On Saturday Bliss received twenty-seven shillings and two hours off. He repaid his loan of five shillings to the foreman, and made his way at once to Frances' lodgings. She met him at the door, already dressed for the street. Her manner was listless, and even her smile seemed forced as she gave him her hand. "'At last,' she murmured, "'if I hadn't seen you to-day—' "'No threats, please,' he interrupted. "'I'll tell you the sober truth. I didn't come before because I dared not.' "'Then you are not working.' she exclaimed. "'You must have been wanting the money you lent me all the time.' "'Nothing of the sort,' he answered promptly. "'I wasn't exactly working, but I was always earning a bit. Now,' he added proudly, "'I've got a regular job.' "'What is it?' she asked, with a tired smile. "'I'm driving a bus,' Bliss explained. "'Queer sort of a job, in a way, but it's thirty-six bob a week.' "'A bus!' she repeated. "'I've just been paid, and I'm starving,' Bliss remarked, as he took her arm. "'Come along.' "'I'm not going to have dinner with you,' she declared. "'But you are,' he insisted. She shook herself free from him. "'It's no good, Ernest,' she said. "'I've lost my last place. My landlady has given me notice. I'm finished. I'm going to write to Mr. Masters to-night.' If he wants me to go back, I'm going. "'Francis!' he cried anxiously. "'I can't help it,' she went on. "'I've struggled along, but it's the same every time I take a situation. And there are my sisters to think of. I'm doing nothing for them, and there's so much that ought to be done.' "'But you don't care about this chap, Masters,' Bliss protested. "'Of course I don't,' she replied. You know quite well that you are the only person I care about in that way, or ever could. But it isn't any use. A bus driver at thirty-six shillings a week can't afford to keep a wife and be saddled with the care of two of her sisters. You know that as well as I do. That's why I don't want to see you any more. That's why I don't want to have dinner with you tonight. Bliss was silent for a moment. She glanced at his face and her eyes filled with tears. "'I'll change my mind,' she declared suddenly. "'I will come and have dinner with you. We'll have our little table, and even a bottle of Medoc, if you like, and perhaps those men will play. I'm so dull and tired. And then, Ernest, we must say good-bye.' "'We'll see about that,' he muttered. "'Anyway, dinner first. They made their way to the little restaurant, and as usual she pored over the bill of fare with him, and struck out the most expensive items. Somehow she had never before seemed so desirable to him. Thin though she was, she had never lost that curious grace of movement, a sort of natural elasticity of frame and carriage, which made her easily distinguishable, notwithstanding her worn clothes, 
and thick boots. Her cheeks were paler, but her eyes seemed nearer the shade of violets, and the brown in her hair was softer. A certain severity with which she had sometimes kept him at arm's length deserted her that evening. She leaned back in her chair, and abandoned herself to the relaxation of the moment. She was unusually provocative. She let her hand lie in his. He felt the thrill of her presence as he had never felt it before, and when one of the musicians, fingering his instrument, played softly to his companion at a distant table, she listened with half-closed eyes. Her head and all her body seemed to sway gently with the music. They sat in the place for nearly two hours. Then Bliss suddenly glanced at the clock. "'Walk down with me to the yard,' he begged. "'I have to take out my bus in a quarter of an hour.' She sat for a moment quite still. Then she burst into a peal of laughter. "'Take your bus out,' she repeated. "'Oh, you strange, strange boy. Yes, I'll come.' Bliss paid his bill. When they got outside he took her arm. She made no effort to withdraw it. On the contrary, she drew closer to him. "'Dear,' he said, "'there are some things I cannot explain to you. You think I am a fool, over-sanguine, an idiot, because where you see a cul-de-sac, I see before us freedom and happiness. I want you to trust me.' She sighed. "'You've spoken like this before, dear.' If you have hopes of which you have told me nothing, then you ought to share them with me. I don't like mystery. This is the end of it, Ernest. I do love you, but there's no hope for us, and I can't go through what I've been going through any longer. I wore spectacles at my last place and did my hair. Oh, what a mess I made of it, she laughed. My employer coolly asked me if the spectacles were necessary and then instructed me to remove them. That was the day he asked me to go out to lunch for the third time. "'Have one more try,' Bliss begged. "'Surely you can find a place where you would not be subjected to this sort of thing?' "'Find it for me,' she challenged. "'I've tried everywhere. A woman who earns her own living puts her pride in her pocket. She is supposed not to understand—' and what men mean when they make the stereotyped advances. I've tried. I can't stand it, that's all. I'll hate it all my life, but I'd sooner go through a little ceremony with Mr. Masters, and call myself his wife, and provide for my sisters, and then rest. That's what I want to do more than anything in the world. You shall have plenty of rest, Bliss promised confidently but not with Mr. Masters. Listen, these aren't idle words of mine. Trust me, and I swear that before six weeks have passed I shall be in a position to marry you and help your sisters. Show me one atom of proof, she implored him. I can't, he confessed. Trust me. She shook her head. It's always the same, Ernest. If you had friends or a future, would you have drifted almost to starvation all these weeks, and then jumped at the chance of driving a bus? I can't explain, he said doggedly. Then I can't wait, she retorted. Why should I? Because I love you, he answered simply. Because 
there is no future for you except to be my wife. Don't you understand that we belong to each other? You wouldn't dare to do what you suggest. It wouldn't be honest to Mr. Masters. I'm tired of thinking about other people, she declared. They were walking more slowly now. They were within a few yards of the great omnibus yard. Bliss glanced at the clock. Dear, he pleaded, trust me a little longer. The time is so short now. Don't ruin both our lives. She made a little grimace. There were two big tears in her eyes. I knew how it would be, she sighed, if I went out with you at all. You promise? he persisted. I promise, she answered. I'll have another try. End of chapter 30 Chapter 31 It was nearly six weeks later when Bliss, who had been promoted to the Piccadilly route, was suddenly hailed from the pavement. A tall, exceedingly well-dressed young man had dropped his monocle and was flourishing his cane. "'Hi!' he exclaimed. "'Hi there!' Bliss brought the bus to a standstill. Honiton regarded him from the pavement in blank amazement. "'Hello, Bliss!' he shouted. "'We go to Hammersmith and Barnes,' Bliss said politely. "'Did I understand you to hail the bus?' "'Well, I'm dashed!' was Honiton's first coherent exclamation. "'Come for a ride with me,' Bliss begged. "'It won't cost you more than fourpence all the way, and you'll get lots of excitement for your money. How are things?' "'A motor-bus driver!' Honiton gasped. "'A healthy, not to say a sporting occupation,' Bliss assured him. "'Jump up behind if you're coming along. Can't keep my bus standing here all day.' They were badly blocked at Hyde Park Corner, and Honiton suddenly appeared on the footboard. By this time he had collected himself. "'Ernest, old chap,' he said, "'I've been looking for you everywhere.' "'Is that so?' Honiton coughed. He seemed a little ill at ease. "'When can I see you for a few minutes under more reasonable circumstances?' he asked, glancing with horror at an oil stain upon his glove. "'Well, I haven't much time after work,' Bliss explained doubtfully. "'I have to meet my girl directly I leave off.' "'You're what?' Honiton gasped, with a visible effort at self-control. "'My girl,' Bliss repeated. "'Didn't I tell you I was engaged?' "'I don't think you mentioned it,' Honiton mumbled. "'Anyway, I am,' Bliss continued. "'She has a temporary job as a typist, only a couple of streets off our yard. This is my last journey tonight. I get four hours off, so she'll be round to meet me. Could you come on to the next stopping place if you're not very busy?' "'Right-o,' Honiton agreed. "'I'll come on a little further. See you again later.' The bus started again, and duly reached its destination. Bliss crossed his legs, and, turning round in his seat, found Honiton waiting on the pavement. "'Now, then,' he invited. Honiton rested one immaculately gloved hand upon a dry spot on the front of the bus, and the other upon the rail, and, after a nervous glance around to be sure that they were alone, he leaned over from the curbstone in a confidential manner. "'Look here, Bliss, old chap,' he began, "'when I left you in the Strand the other day, 
I had the hump for a while. One hates to think of a pal coming a real cropper, and not seeming to have the gift, you know, for pulling himself together. You understand what I mean, he went on hastily. Take my case now. I have been absolutely stony broke. But do I look it? Could anyone ever guess it? That's because I've the knack of pulling myself together, and making the best of things, eh? Bliss nodded. Oh, yes, I see, he assented. Well, Honiton continued, I thought it all over, and finally I discussed it with a few of our old pals. Now, don't get skittish, he exclaimed quickly, as Bliss started. Listen to what I've got to say. I made a little proposition to them, he proceeded, drawing a sheet of paper from his pocket, and they were all over it. All over it, Bliss, I assure you. We never asked a single soul to subscribe. The oof simply rolled in. There's Freddy Lancaster, never seemed to have a lot, you know, and we used to chaff him about being stingy. He weighed in with a pony before we could tell him the whole of the story. And I tell you, we had the hardest job to keep the girls out of it. There was little Nellie Powers and Flo Graves, and half a dozen more of them wanted to give half their salary for months. Freddy and I, though, put our foot down at that. We knew how you'd feel, and we wouldn't take a penny from a girl. What's it all about, anyway? Bliss asked, his voice shaking a little. "'Simply this, old chap,' Honiton concluded. "'Some of your old pals have put their heads together, and they have decided to give you a dinner, on your own date, and at the close of the dinner they're going to hand you a little cheque, which, believe me, will be worth having, uh, for you to go to Canada or America or wherever you choose, and make a fresh start.' or make it here amongst us, if you like. Anyway, as Freddy Lancaster said, it's just a little rebate upon all the hospitality and kindness you've shown to lots of these fellows when they've been in a hole, and just to, er, uh, let you see that they don't want a pal to slip down without stretching out a helping hand, er, uh, and that sort of thing. Honiton wound up with a sigh of relief. Bliss turned his head away. He was looking down the long vista of the crowded street. Suddenly the vehicles seemed all tangled together, the faces of the people blurred and indistinct. There was a lump in his throat. He could scarcely trust himself to answer. Honiton was tremendously busy with his cigarette-case, and had moved a little further back to get a light. "'Well, old chap?' he asked presently. "'I can't say much to you,' Bliss declared. "'This has taken my breath away. "'Will you just say that I'll dine with them all with pleasure? "'And if it isn't too soon, "'I should like the date to be December 19th.' "'That's fine!' Honiton exclaimed. "'We'll say eight o'clock, and it will be at the Milan. "'We shall get the Venetian room. "'If you don't mind, old chap, I'll hop it now,' he went on. I dare say you're used to it, but this bus shakes me up a bit. There's a taxi stand there, and I'll just be getting back. So long. Don't forget. Venetian room at the Milan, eight o'clock, December 19th. And, by the by, he added, 
"'About the, uh, young lady?' Uh, "'There's my girl, of course,' Bliss said. "'May I bring her with me?' "'Of course you may,' Honiton replied. "'You bring her along, and we'll give you both a good send-off. "'So long once more.' "'So long,' Bliss echoed, a little dazed. Bliss was unusually silent that night, as Francis and he made their way towards the little restaurant. "'Nothing wrong, is there?' she inquired, with some anxiety. "'You haven't lost your place.' "'Not I,' he assured her promptly. "'I haven't even touched a fine yet. Only I had rather a shock today. Some of the men I used to know when I was better off want to give us a dinner, and a start-off somewhere, Francis. They've subscribed quite a decent sum. What do you think about it?' "'Do you mean to go abroad?' he nodded. "'That seems to be the idea.' She was thoughtful for a moment. Her eyes were soft, and he knew very well what was in her mind. "'It's your sisters you're thinking about, isn't it?' he asked, as they took their places in the restaurant. "'Supposing there was enough to let Ruth have some singing lessons, and to send Elsie down to a quiet place in the south somewhere?' She held his hand under the table. "'I'll just do whatever you think best, dear,' she said. "'Only you mustn't try to do too much for them.' "'Those fellows want us to dine with them on December 19th, Bliss announced. She made a little grimace. "'Ernest,' she expostulated, "'how could I? You know my wardrobe pretty well. And the 19th is next Thursday.' He sat quite still in his place. His eyes seemed to be looking through the walls. "'Next Thursday,' he repeated wonderingly. End of chapter 31